We are in our, uh, our second week of Advent. Uh, this this season that looks to the coming of Jesus and, uh, and celebrates the incarnation. And uh, we are going to be looking, we're going to be doing a series. Last week, Ben Hine uh, talked about the great Savior that was promised from the very beginning of the fall. And that Savior comes as prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to take a week and look at each one of those roles that Jesus plays, prophet, priest, and king. Um, I think it's helpful to just remind ourselves as we're in this season that there, there are kind of two celebrations that go on during this time. There's the Christmas around us culturally and the decorations and uh, the Christmas movies uh, and and as followers of Jesus, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is the celebration of God becoming a man, the second person of the Trinity becoming incarnate as a human being. Uh, and, and I think there are places where those overlap, but I think it's also just helpful to note that sometimes they don't, and sometimes they shouldn't, right? Like, uh, there's, there's no glory to Jesus' name for Walmart to say Merry Christmas as opposed to Happy Holidays, like that, that, that's not, that's not the way that works. Um, uh, but I, I do think there's, there's a sense in which we, we can definitely, uh, celebrate both. Um, the, the encouragement is that as we are followers of Jesus, that we, we could take this time, uh, to reflect deeply on who Jesus is. And there are lots of ways to do that. Uh, just as a, a note we have on our table out there, both, the daily prayer plans that are Advent-focused, you, you, you can use those as an individual or you can join uh, Zoom on weekday mornings uh, with uh, a number of us who do that. Uh, but it's a resource to focus on the incarnation. There's also something for kids, an Advent calendar resource for kids that's out there as well. So grab those, use those to think about this time, to reflect on this time, what's really going on. And at the same time, I think it's like we love Christmas movies. And there aren't many Christmas movies that really have anything to do with Jesus. Uh, and I, again, I don't feel the need to insert Jesus into, um, you know, Miracle on 34th Street, which was one, actually, that we watched uh, over Thanksgiving week. We actually watched a lot of both classic and cheesy uh, Christmas movies. We, we spend that week with another family, and we just are kind of inside the whole time playing games, and this year having lots of uh, cheesy Christmas movies going. But we watched Miracle on 34th Street, and if you're not familiar with the story... Part of the uh, central theme is this question of Kris Kringle, and is Kris Kringle the real Santa Claus, right? And to the point, a lot of debate, a lot of questions. What, what do you believe? Who should you believe? They go to court over it, right? Like it's, it's, uh, there's a trial uh, about whether Kris Kringle, who's been playing Santa in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, is, is actually Santa Claus, right? And, uh, and as you're watching the movie, you want people to believe uh, something that might be different from if this were happening in real life, what you would believe at that point, right? Um, but there's this question that's kind of, you know, fun in the context of this movie. What do you believe? Who do you believe? But if, you, if as I was reflecting on that, uh, if I go too deeply down that road, uh, it, it's, it you know, just draws me to stress. Uh, there are lots of things that draw us all to stress these days. You know, any amount of doom scrolling that we do through Instagram or Facebook or the news or whatever it might be. Um, and everywhere we turn, there's questions of what do we believe uh, about uh, politics, about COVID, 
um, about uh, the environment, all these kind of things, questions, what and who do you believe? And really the question becomes, who do you believe? What are your resources? You're, you're, you're ultimately uh, expected to be a, a, an expert on everything or at least have that kind of knowledge, but it all boils down to who do you trust and who do you believe? Uh, that, that is the central question on any number of topics that we're asked to know about. Um, I mean, you take your car to the mechanic and you're just trust. You have to trust, at least I do. Uh, I have to trust uh, that he is going to be honest with me and that he knows what he's doing uh, because I don't know. Um, and, and that's the case in, uh, for uh, many areas of life that we're called to trust other people. And so as we come to this Advent season and as we think about Jesus as the prophet, the prophet who is proclaiming the word of God, and even more than that, being the word of God, as he's proclaiming the word of God, he is saying, I am the one to trust. I'm the one to turn to on those issues that matter more than any other. And so as we celebrate Advent season, as we celebrate Christmas and the incarnation, there is this incredible hope that the God, the creator of the universe, and these descriptions of him as the heir of all things and the one who created the world and the one who sits at the right hand of the majesty, this one speaks to us about the things that matter most deeply. That is the role that the prophet plays and that Jesus plays as the ultimate and final prophet. We're going to see three things from this passage about Jesus as the prophet. One is that he gives certainty. He gives Uh, He he gives certainty, he gives constraints, and he gives Christ. Uh, So we're going to look at those three things. Let Let me pray and we'll take a look. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth, that we would hear the word and be shaped by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we find is that the word brings certainty. And that's a big word that we'll unpack a little bit as we go. Uh, I will just say in the beginning, that doesn't mean there are no doubts. That doesn't mean that there aren't questions. But there are certain things about which we can have certainty. So we we actually talk about um, the fact that to become a member, and I talked about this earlier, it's very core beliefs to become a member, right? You don't have to subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, and all of our theological nuances as Presbyterians to be a member of our church. But there are certain things in these gospel truths that we would say these things we can have certainty about uh, so that we can say, yes, we believe those, and yes, we order our lives around those things. And so as we come... Uh, to this passage, and we see the fact that God talks to his people, he reveals things to them, he speaks to them, and ultimately through Jesus, we, we can see that he's offering some level of certainty, and that we need that. We desperately need that. There, there is this uh, sense in which we need to understand what a prophet is. So as we see that long ago, verse 1, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So the writer of Hebrews here is saying, God, for, for generations, for centuries, has spoken to his people in many ways uh, and at many times. And he did that through the prophets. Now, prophet, we, we hear prophet and we think first and foremost, we think about somebody foretelling the future. And there are prophets uh, in the Old Testament that do that. 
And there's some, uh, we could say the book of Revelation is also a book of prophecies telling us what is coming in the future. But the primary role of the prophet was to proclaim what is true and most often to call the people of God to repentance. To say, here are the things that you're missing. Turn back to God. Here is what is true about God. Here's what is true about you and the world and how you need to respond. That's the role of the prophet. And so God has spoken through the prophets and many times and in many ways. And that does include the prophetic books that we could look at in the Old Testament, the, the big ones, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and the minor prophets as well. But there's an understanding for uh, both in the Old Testament and uh, those that were reading Hebrews in this time, that it also includes all those who wrote Scripture. So Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible that we know is the Pentateuch, that give this history of God's people, starting with creation and fall, and then the formation of Israel, of God's people. Moses wrote that, and he was considered a prophet for writing that. David, who wrote much of wisdom literature and the Psalms, and Solomon would be considered prophets in that way. They, they speak the word of God, so they, they give this revelation to the people, revelation of God to his people. This is the truth that has been revealed to them. And, and there was this regular understanding that it was something that was, was needed, that it was needed. We, 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 if we just think about some of the implications of who we are and who God is, we, we recognize, we, we must come to the conclusion that we need God to reveal himself to us. So as there's this description of God, this description of Jesus, in fact, um, we find it, even at the end of verse 2, This long list of things about Jesus. He's the heir of all things. He is the one who created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he sits at the right hand of the majesty. He's superior to the angels. And and one of the things that we, as we read this, we, we can't not sense the difference in the contrast to us. He's the creator and sustainer. We're the creatures and we live in his creation. That he is infinite and we are finite. We're the creatures, he's the creator. And and as a result, the story of scripture again and again and again is that we need him to reveal himself to us. We we need that desperately. And and we feel that at different times and in different ways, but the reality is whatever we feel, we desperately need his revelation of himself. And the beauty of all of scripture is that he condescended. He humbled himself to do just that. He humbled himself to speak in a language and in a way that we as his people could understand. Long ago, in many ways, at many times, he spoke through his prophets. That is is this reminder of the story, of the big story of God speaking. But now there's something greater that has happened, the writer of Hebrews said. And, and some of that stuff was great and mighty. God speaking through the prophets, God speaking through a burning bush, God speaking through angels. And yet he's saying that something better has come now in this last time, in these last days. And, and as we hear this word, last days, it's not like we're, we're just waiting for the end times, for tribulation and those kinds. We're not talking about... Tim LaHaye and Left Behind and those kind of things. This last days is this final, we call it age or epoch, where God is dealing with his people in a new way. And this is the last way in which he deals with us until Jesus returns and makes all things right. And we, we are in those last days now. So in this 
last way, God deals in a different way. Uh, This one final way, in fact, that he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as heir of all things. And then he goes on again to describe who Jesus is, the son of God. And Hebrews, for these first few chapters, is about how Jesus is greater than the prophets. He is the the supreme being. He's he's greater than the angels. He uh, He is the supreme one, the great savior that has come. And this is something to be celebrated. And, and we, we see through Jesus' ministry how he is contra- his ministry is contrasted with the Old Testament prophets. When an Old Testament prophet spoke, they would say, thus says the Lord. But Jesus, in his ministry, he says, truly, truly, I say to you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection life. I am the vine. You are the branches. I offer life. I mean, Jesus' ministry is incredibly egocentric. And he's the only human being to ever live about which that actually should be the case. Because he is the supreme being. And he is speaking now to us, to the people. This is what is offered to us. This is what we celebrate uh, at Christmas time with the incarnation that God himself is speaking. He's not using a mediator, these other prophets. He himself is coming, has come into this world, has lived a life, has taught, and offers himself to us. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there aren't doubts or questions that we have as we think about Christianity, as we think about who God is, as we think about these things. But he is saying, he is revealing himself in a way that can uh, truly give us certainty about those deepest things and that we can put our faith in him. And absolutely, we should regularly be able to deal with our doubts, to be clear. And we talk about that. I, you know, um, I, I hear of stories, particularly stories of when people leave the faith, when they deconstruct their faith. Um, and, and sometimes it comes in reaction to being a part of churches that say you, you have to put away all doubt. And that's what faith is, that, that you can't talk about or think about those things. So we actually encourage regularly uh, talking about the questions that we have. And there are all kinds of good resources. I've talked about Reason for God, uh, which deals with a lot of uh, com- complaints or questions about Christianity. Uh, there's a, a fairly new book, Rebecca McLaughlin's Confronting Christianity. There, there are all kinds of resources. I or others uh, would love to have conversation with, about, with you about doubts that you have. We should be able to engage those things. But we should also uh, recognize that as followers of Jesus, we believe that he has revealed himself in a way that we can have uh, some level of certainty about our need of him and our ability to put our faith in him, that he is uh, the word who has revealed himself. And, and there is this, we, we, we can't dive fully into the depth of this idea of the word of God, and him being the prophet, uh, and the the fact that God's word actually accomplishes things. We see that in Genesis 1 where he creates the world just by his word. We see here in, in verse 3 that he, uh, he upholds the universe by his word. His word is powerful. It actually accomplishes things. And, and we see in John 1 that Jesus himself is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then a few verses later, verse 14, we see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. There's an incredible amount of depth to the word of God and Jesus being that ultimate prophet in the role that he plays. And it should be incredibly hope-giving to us. And it should offer us opportunity to seek some level of certainty. 
Uh, I mentioned deconstruction a moment ago. Uh, this is a place where this would apply. Uh, deconstruction, uh, if it's not a word you've heard, you're bound to hear it soon. And it's this idea of processing critically or reevaluating faith, uh, often in light of, of harm or pain that's happened from either a church or church leader, that sort of thing. But uh, it's this process that uh, is happening maybe more and more, unfortunately. Uh, younger folks in particular, deconstructing their faith. And, and, and let me say that there's some uh, processes of deconstruction, of, of evaluating faith that we should all be doing, actually. Because uh, the idea of applying the word and looking to it for certainty means that it, it might push up against the way that we do things or think about things. It's appropriate to, do on, a, on what we might call a micro level, uh, address experiences, questions, theology that we have, there, there is a place to do that. The problem becomes when we don't have any idea what our foundation is. And so we begin to tear the whole thing down so that we associate, maybe it's a pain experienced, and we associate it with either the whole organization, the church as a whole, or Christianity as a whole. It becomes actually something uh, quite dangerous when we put it in the context of it's about what I feel or experience. As, as a church, we, we would say, let's do those things, but let's do those things and ask those questions and evaluate in light of God's revealed word to us. So yes, let's have those conversations, but let's do it around the world. You'll, you'll notice, if you've been here for any period of time, like every sermon is based on a passage of scripture. It is the foundation. It's not just oh, I had this idea this week, and so I wanted to let you know about it. It's, there's a foundation to what we believe and how it affects our lives and everything that we do, in fact. So that the word, Jesus himself, who has revealed himself to us, he is the foundation of everything that we believe and say and do. And that might mean that at points, we, we, we would say, you know what, we, we missed it here. And we need to learn from this or this action or this thing that happened that actually wasn't in line with what the word of God says. That wasn't in line with the the words of the prophet Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Those are the questions that we should be asking. Because what happens is sometimes when the word, the prophet brings constraints, that's the second point, we don't like it. We, we, we push against that. That's naturally where we go. We push against uh, the fact that we're creatures. We want to be in control. We want to be the ones in power. We don't like constraints. We actually live in a culture now where um, freedom is one of those highest values, right? And it's often what has been described by philosophers as uh, negative freedom. Negative freedom being not freedom to something, but freedom from actually anything, from any constraints, uh, and, and at the moment that we feel that there are, are constraints that we don't like, we, we begin to push against it. And that's not good. That's not, that's not valuable to us. And yet, what we find in Scripture is that there are constraints, but they are there for our good. The constraints draw us into the right place, into a healthy place. From the Creator who created the world, He created us. He knows what's best for us. And so the constraints that He gives us are beautiful, good things, even when sometimes they don't seem like it, even when we might uh, chafe against them. And, and this is true of any relationship. We, we actually don't believe in the idea of full negative freedom, restraints from all that. If we're in a, a relationship that has any value, we, we recognize that constraints are good. 
we naturally put those on ourselves. I love my wife and my kids, and, and that, that puts some level of constraint on my life. It, it means that uh, if I go to the grocery store or I go to a restaurant, I don't just spend money on myself uh, and provide the food that I need and then say, oh, look at all this other money that I've got. I can go, um, you know, I can go buy a nice car with it. And, spend, and good luck with that food thing for you guys. Like, I, I don't do that. I, I naturally put constraints on my budget because I love my kids and, uh, and, and I want to care for them and provide for them, right? Any, any relationship we're, we're in, we constrain ourselves so that we're free to be in that relationship and love other people deeply. Constraints are good and, and beautiful things. We recognize that around us as well, that there are, are laws that e- exist um, and we should be evaluating the ones that work well and the ones that are helpful, but we need some level of laws or we go to a place of, um, you know, the purge or something. Uh, and, and that's a, a bit of a joke, but, uh, but we, we might not be far from that if we didn't have any laws. Um, we, we, history tells us that we're not just moving toward things getting better and better. We, we actually find uh, ourselves with sin and brokenness everywhere, no matter how far our, our culture has progressed or, or not. Um, so that we find constraints actually uh, helpful for us. And, and sometimes, you know, too many freedoms are, are pretty negative for us, even in this idea of how we think about what do we believe and what, what facts or truths or what, what parts of the news should we, how do we understand those things? I mean, the, the internet has done some really beautiful things in giving, uh, at times, voice to those who didn't have voice, but it also has given us so many voices that they're overwhelming. Uh, and they, they, they drive us to anxiety. We actually need some constraints there, right? And, and again, this idea that progress is just going to move us in the right direction again and again is, is actually not true. I, I was fascinated by uh, a podcast that covered the Theranos Elizabeth Holmes story. Who uh, She is guilty of one of the biggest, or she hasn't been found guilty, but she probably is, uh, of <laughs> one of the biggest frauds in Silicon Valley getting hundreds of millions of dollars from... Uh, all kinds of really famous uh, investors and people uh, for this product that she just lied about. Uh, the, I mean, the whole idea was that she could do hundreds of blood tests with just a prick of the thumb, the blood that you would get from that. And, uh, and that just wasn't true. And there was all kinds of fraud that was happening in that. But one of the ways that it was enabled was by this particular investor who, his name was George Schultz, and he was in multiple cabinets of multiple presidents and just really well-respected, and uh, he brought many people to her, and he was a defender of her for a long time. And, uh, and speculation is that one of the reasons that he stood by it so long is he had this deep belief that technology was going to solve the problems of our world. And that this was a way, and it's true, it would have solved some significant health issues if this was actually worked and was available. But that that, that drive to see uh, science and technology fix what is broken uh, blinded him to the fraud that was occurring. But but again, history tells us that, that the advancement in science and technology, when often is helpful, isn't the answer to all of our problems. I mean, we're in a moment where we understand more about the brain uh, and how to treat mental illness even, oftentimes more than we've ever known before. And yet, 
mental illness and even suicide and depression and anxiety are at all-time highs around the world. I mean, to, at, at crazy levels. And the issues that our kids are, are, are dealing with are at all-time difficult levels, even as we understand more uh, scientifically and te- technology is better and better, it, it doesn't solve the problem. The problem continues to be that we as creatures rebel against our creator. And that's always going to bring in brokenness. And, and again, that doesn't mean that these things aren't out there, that we can't use these tools, but they're not the answer. They don't solve all of the world's problems. And so we find that the word of God actually drives us in helpful directions, even at times that we don't like it. Those constraints sometimes as we push against them, as we, as we rebel against our creator, the reality is that the answer isn't just, okay, what are the constraints? That is, what does God call us to do? How does he call us to live? And, and then just do it. That's not what the, the scriptural story is. Jesus came as the incarnate word of God, as God himself in this world, because we couldn't do that, because we couldn't live by the constraints, because we, we would continue to fail, in fact. And so what we find is that the word revealed to us in Jesus Christ, this ultimate prophet, yes, it gives us some level of certainty, it gives us constraints, but ultimately it does those things because it gives us Christ himself. And that's what we ultimately need. We need Jesus. We need the prophet so that when he reveals himself and he speaks this word of truth, it's not just these facts about him. What he is offering is himself. That's what we find in the incarnation. These last days he's spoken to us by his son. And what did his son do? His son became a man and he lived in this world. And we find some of this, there's this clear overlap between prophet, priest, and king over these next few weeks, even as we're focusing on prophet. As, as the priest, he makes purification for our sins. He forgives us of our brokenness, of the way in which we miss the constraints, of the ways in which we fail to, to even use science or knowledge or technology in positive ways. We use them for selfish ends. We do all kinds of things to selfish ends. We need him. And what does he offer? That's exactly what he offers. He offers himself. So the word of God is Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he offers not just that knowledge about him, he offers himself. And he works powerfully for us. That's what we celebrate uh, at Christmas. That's what the incarnation accomplishes for us. This hope that we can have relationship with him. And that's ultimately what he is offering. All the work that he did in the Old Testament and that when he's spoken many times and in many ways, uh, the prophets and the, the work that they did, it was all to draw people into relationship with God. This word that was used for the fathers as he spoke to our fathers, verse 1, uh, the, the word that they knew for God was Yahweh. And Yahweh was this word that was the the name for God, the personal name for God, when he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. We will live in relationship with one another. That's what Christ accomplishes. He reveals himself. He offers himself. Because that's what we need. And so at Christmas, 
in Advent, let's celebrate and rejoice that with all the noise and the brokenness around us, what is on offer at Christmas is Jesus Christ himself. What is on offer is relationship with him. What is on offer is being drawn into the family of God, that creator, that heir of all things, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power is offering himself to us. Would we look to him and trust and rely upon his offer of himself? Would we find hope there in the midst of all the noise, finding some certain hope, and then live in light of it? Let's pray.